Great Beginnings. That's the uh, title of the series we've been doing on the book of Mark, and we're, we're covering the entire book, beginning to end, and we're uh, entering to chapter 5 right now. And, and to really drive home what we're going to talk about today, you're going to learn something a little bit about me, and that is, I hate snakes. I, I mean, just hate snakes. I'm not really afraid of snakes. I mean, played with them as a kid. They'd come in the yard, but that wasn't because I liked them. That's more like to show you're tough, right? Everybody played with the snakes, but I hate them. They just make my skin crawl. Which makes the, the following little story kind of weird, because this was, a, this was several years ago. I remember I couldn't sleep during the night, so I, I wandered into the den and turned on the TV and just got sucked into this movie about snakes. To this day, I mean, this was a long time ago, they, uh, and cable was not as uh, sophisticated then as it is now. It didn't, like, have an info button. It was just on Channel 4 or whatever, and I'm watching this movie. Probably came in, oh, between, about halfway through, probably. And it was about snakes. It was about these kind of hybrid super mutant rattlesnakes that had invaded this little town somewhere. And and it had already, uh, all these little snakes, thousands of them had killed some of the people, and and everybody was devastated. They didn't know what to do about the snake problem. They were they were invading their their town. And and the story hinged on these these two little boys that were probably less than 10 years old, and they're, and they're running their remote control cars out through this little parts of this town, which, which you back up and go, this is one of the things about horror movies and, and scary movies is there's this, this level of stupidity, right? So if snakes are like killing everybody in town, why are the two little boys out playing in the fields and stuff with their cars, right? And so they're doing the remote control cars, and you're following them, and they, they run their, their cars into this big cavern, this big cave that was behind this power plant. And they're going farther and farther in there, and you start hearing the... And snakes thumping and slithering, and it's thousands of them. They're like falling, and you're hearing them hit like water and, and things. And, and, and these little boys are a little frightened, and one of them hadn't gone quite as far, and so he hightails it out to go get help. And the other one is getting surrounded by snakes, and he climbs up to try to get away from them. And, and the one who left, he goes and finds the, the stepdad of, of the boy who was stuck by the snakes in there, and, and those two didn't really have a good relationship. You know, the, he saw the, his stepdad as kind of the enemy, and then they, they had this horrible relationship, but at this point, the stepdad knows he has to do something. Right, so he's definitely afraid of snakes, too, uh, but he goes to the local, like, snake expert and gets trained about how to handle snakes and, and puts on these big, huge leather leggings and things to, to protect himself from the fangs and goes to help his, his stepson, and, and we go, well, why didn't the snake guy go? I mean, that's, you know, logic doesn't play out in horror movies. And so he goes into this snake, and, and the snakes are, like, jumping. You ever seen snakes jump? Wow, they're jumping and latching on and they can't get through the leather, but one gets him in the arm, one gets him in the neck, and he's, he's fainting away, but he finds his son, stepson, and takes him out and then collapses and goes to the hospital and gets anti-venom, and he's okay, and they have an amazing relationship, but now the town knows where the snakes are. And so they all go in en masse and they collect all the snakes and put them into bags and they destroy them all, and they're rid of it and there's much rejoicing in the town. And that's the end of the story. Or is it? Because we all know how the horror movie genre works, right? There's something else. There's something else. And as, as the scene comes to the end and the camera starts zooming farther and farther into the depths of the cave, right? Until finally it comes to this place in the depths in the dark where you see a mama rattler and all these little babies. Fade to black. Roll the credits, right? Because that's how those movies work. 
right? And all the ones that over the years that, that, that you watch or you've seen, whether it was the Halloween movies or Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street, I'm showing my age. These are the ones I've seen. They were like college, you know. Um, way back the blob, right? There's always something that invades a community to disrupt it, some source of evil, right? And it comes in whether it's an alien or a disease or snakes or, or some menacing person or, or something that invades and, and it just represents pure evil. And what's amazing in this genre of movies is there's assumption that somebody in the town, some person will have the power and the ingenuity to come up with a solution. And oftentimes it's the character that was most dense throughout the movie, right? Suddenly they have this epiphany. Hey, I know how we can get rid of this thing. And so they, they somehow do this. They think there's a way that they can rid their community of this evil. But in those movies, they always end the same way. It's the, the creature they thought was dead looks up or the snakes in the pit or something else to say, no, it truly wasn't destroyed. Our story in the book of Mark today has some things that sound similar to these horror movies, uh, to, to the, the idea that people could somehow stop something evil just by their own power and their own ingenuity. Let's, let's read the story. It's Mark chapter 5, starting at chapter 1. It says, They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Sounds kind of like a Frankenstein movie, right? Chains to try to sustain, hold him back. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. What we see right off in this story is that Jesus had what we might call close encounters with three different characters. He had a close encounter with the spirits as they were uh, in, in this man, possessing this man. He had a close encounter with this broader community. And then he had a close encounter with the man after the spirits had been cast out, after he was released. And, and each of these three characters, these three encounters, included some very specific things about the ways he interacted with them, things that they asked from him, and, and the outcomes of what this interaction was. 
If we were to step back into last week's passage, we also see that he had a close encounter with his disciples, particularly in that boat, but also some other followers in some other boats. And if we remember that story, remember they had, they'd gotten in the boat and they took off and in the middle of traveling across the lake, they were hit by this tremendous storm, this storm that threatened to capsize the boat, to drown them all. And if we recall, Jesus was asleep in the boat and, and we discovered it, his sleep was not as because he was indifferent to their plight, it was that he had the sleep of faith. And he really awoke and calmed the storm and said, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And we discovered in that passage that Jesus, Jesus is with us through storms. The storms are not always calmed literally, but he calms us in the middle of them, and, and we can bank on the fact that he is with us. And they had this close encounter, and, and the challenge was that the disciples did not really calm down after that. They were afraid of the storm, but they were even more afraid when they looked at this guy that they were traveling with, they had chosen to follow, and he had calmed the storm, and they said, who is this man? Who, who, who is this? Even, even the winds and waves obey him. Now, and if we put ourselves back in the story, and once again, if we work through Mark, and it's a, a narrative, it's a story of Jesus interacting with people and, and, and showing them along the way what it means to follow him and what the kingdom of God is like, and we've, we've talked about that at length over the last few weeks, of what does this look like and how they're learning new things, and, and we've discovered when we're in a narrative that the way that we have to uh, wrestle with the text is to, is to find ourselves in the text, right? How do we enter into this world that was being experienced at that time? And so we put ourselves in this boat with Jesus and these disciples who were continuing on across the lake. And they had gotten in the boat at evening time and basically through the night, then they're traveling across the lake. And they were, they were afraid. They, they, they couldn't really grasp what they had just seen. They thought they were going to die and then they weren't. And, and, and Jesus didn't panic with them. and said, he slept. And why are you afraid? And, and I'm sure they kind of discussed that a little. But for the most part, in their fear, I'll bet to that boat was just heading across the lake. Little waves kind of lapping up against the sound, the side. You know, you know that sound? They're heading off and they're getting closer to the shore and they've been traveling, they're exhausted. And they, Did you hear that? What was that? Keep traveling. But there was again, did you, did you hear that? What was that? Where are we heading anyway? And it said they landed in the region of the Gerasenes, which was, which was Gentile territory. These were, these were towns that were up completely opposite of what they're used to. This is a place, as we see in the passage, where there were, there were pig farmers and a guy that lived among the tombs. This is, this is all unclean. This, is, this maybe is worse than the sea. Did you hear that? What was that sound? It didn't even sound human. And they land on the boat, and you could that sound of pulling a boat up across the sand, you know, and they stop it. They're terrified. They don't know what to do. And it, they hear this noise, and all of a sudden, Get away! Get away! Get away! Get away! What do you want with me? Let's get back in the boat and head out of here. Now, that, that will awaken you from your slumber. And, and this man comes down, and he falls at his feet before Jesus. And he, it's like, Jesus, what do you want me? Jesus, son of God, what do you want me? Go away, go away. And, and it said Jesus had told the spirit to come out of him. It said, don't torture me. Get away. 
And we have to understand this man and what his life had been like. And, and there's this confusion going on in here about uh, pronouns. Some are singular, some are plural. Who's doing the speaking? Sometimes it's the man. Sometimes it's one of the demons. They are mouthpeat for all these, all these demons. And this, this man had lived this horrible life. This man who had been undergone everything you could possibly imagine that's evil just impacting him. And he, he had lived in the town and, and they tried to subdue him. They, they tried to restrain him with chains. He lived in the town. And if you had somebody like that living in your town, I mean, it's like the, you don't get the kids to go outside at night. You keep the dog in. This guy is terrorizing the village with his, with his violence, with his, his screaming that just doesn't even sound human. And, and so it said they had done everything they could to try to subdue him. And, and that's not really the right Greek word translation in there. It's probably better to say they wanted to tame him was the literal world. They, they wanted to tame him, but we don't tame people. We tame animals. And, and finally they had had enough and say, well, the chains won't hold you. He would burst through them. And so they said, you have to get out of town. You're going to go live among the dead because you can't wake them up. You can't terrorize the dead. Get out of our town. That made it even worse. Because now he had no physical restraints to at least hold him. And even though he could break those, now it's this, this internal battle. So much that he wants to get rid of it. And he's, he's cutting himself with stones. And he's probably eating the food that's left for people in the tombs as in, the, in this pagan society. And that's, that's how he lived. And he lived in the shadows. He lived off where nobody could, could be around him and he could, they could all sleep better at night because he's gone. That was his life. And he sees Jesus as, what do you want with me? Don't torture me. Everybody tortures me. It's been the story of my life. So Jesus has this encounter with these spirits that are that are possessing this man and they, they're trying to bargain their right up they know who he is right they're, they're they're calling him by name what do you want from me jesus son of the most high god they they recognized who he was but it was not in worship it was in trying to bargain that something good can happen don't just get rid of us and jesus asked their name what's, what's your name and they don't give a name they give a number legion six thousand soldiers 120 chariots there are a lot of us. Don't, don't send us far from here. And the man says one of the strangest things. He begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. And to send us to the pigs. And so Jesus said, okay. And, and they left the man and entered these pigs. And instantly the pigs charged down the lake, into the, into the lake and drowned. And we assume the demons drowned as well. This, this lake that just previously was this storm that Jesus had called now was the death place of this herd. sheer number of thousands of pigs shows what was going on and raging in this man. There were people watching what had happened and they took care of the pigs. And they went to the villages and told everybody what happened. And, and they came to see Jesus. We don't know how long that took. They gathered from all over and they, and they came to Jesus. And, w- and when they got there, they saw this man, this person who had terrorized their community, this man who made life miserable for them, who, who they couldn't sleep at night. You know, right when they're f- fading off to sleep, you hear a scream. He's gone now. He's been living out here and he kind of out of sight, out of mind, but, but we know who he is. And it says he was dressed in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. 
And we would like to think if, if we were part of that community that comes out there and say, let's go see what happened. Something crazy happened. Let's go find out what it was. It's like, this guy, this guy's better. This guy's amazing. Who are you? You did amazing things. This is like the most fascinating miracle I've ever seen. This person terrorized us and now he's sitting there like a normal person. What is this? But, but that wasn't their response. They, they had to have looked and gone through and said, is this the same guy? This man must have incredible power to, to change the tormentor that we've known for all these years. This is amazing. You need to leave. You, you can't stay here. And maybe one of the saddest passages in all of Scripture happens right here when Jesus did what they asked. He left. He says, I will give you what you're asking. And he he leaves. They wanted Jesus to go away. The one who had just done something amazing and miraculous that was absolutely beyond comprehension in a person's life that had thousands of demons possessing him and impacting him and destroying him and destroying the community. And he's okay now. Can you leave? That's a horrifying thought. He would ask Jesus to leave As Jesus was getting ready to leave at the request of the community, the man that he had just healed, the man he had just changed miraculously, said, Jesus, can I go with you? I beg you. You've transformed my life. You've done what nobody else could ever do. Change didn't work. Nothing worked. And you changed it. You fixed everything about me. Can I please go with you? And Jesus says, No. Okay, so he, he listens to the townspeople who said you should leave, and this guy says, I want to follow you. And he says, no, you, you need to go back to your family. You need to go back to your community. You need to tell them the amazing things that the Lord has done for you. And we wrestle with this. I, why would he say no to this guy? This, this is amazing. You know? And he says, no, you need to go back to your community. And I think there are all kinds of reasons we could figure out. Mark doesn't tell us. One is, I don't think Jesus, at this point, is, the world is not ready for a Gentile to join his band of followers. I think Jesus' downfall among the leaders of that community would have happened faster if he brought along a Gentile with, as a Jewish teacher. So that's a piece of it. But I think the real thing is the, the clue we get about go home to your family. See, this man had lived in the destruction of isolation. He he had been booted out of the town, booted out of the community, living by himself to to be at this internal civil war going on within him on, on everything, back and forth, all these things that were vying for attention and power and control. And all of that is now gone. And and what he has lost, where true growth and change happens, is community. And Jesus says, go back and live community. You've lived in isolation your whole life. Go back to community and tell people what I have done for you. Don't just say, hey, there was something miracle and I'm better now. But who did it? In, In many ways, this guy was the first real missionary. Now, can you imagine just for a moment, one of the things that makes me laugh at this passage is that these townspeople said, Jesus, go away. But then this guy is going to stay in these towns, these 10 towns, the Decapolis, where he's going, this guy is going to stay there. The biggest reminder of who Jesus is, this guy who had tormented them and lived them, they were afraid for him. They kicked him out of town. He's there. 
all the time. Proclaiming what Jesus did, the one they wanted to get rid of. And everywhere that they go, he pops up. There's that guy. So so these encounters, these, these three encounters with the spirits, with the community, with man, we still have to get to the point of this isn't just something that happened way back then. And, and, and we can always leave these stories in the realm of history. A couple thousand years ago, these amazing things happened to these people back then and there. But what do we do with the story? How, how do we enter into it and, and have the, what are the implications for us? And dare we ask, how are we like the man? Or, or how are we like the community? fascinating statement that C.S. Lewis makes in his book, uh, Surprised by Joy, which is really the, his story about his coming to Christ attracts all of his life and his journey through uh, atheism and communism and being a soldier and all these things where he comes to the point of understanding who Jesus is. And he uses the imagery of this passage when he talks about that. He's reflecting on conversion. He's reflecting on this moment in life where he examined all of his life. And he said, my life was a zoo of lusts a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, a harem of fondled hatreds. My name was Legion. Wow. C.S. Lewis, when I evaluate my own life, I realized that I was somebody torn apart by all kinds of things, all kinds of agendas, all kinds of commitments, all kinds of battling thoughts. And if I examine myself and I'm honest with myself, I'm Legion. And yet Jesus showed up on the shore of my life and wants to work through those things. I am legion. And so we ask ourselves, how are we like the man? Well, first, I, I think sometimes we, we don't truly grasp the destructive nature of isolation. In fact, I would go so far to say that if we, if we look at the, the, the story of creation through culmination in the Bible uh, of the new heavens and the earth, new earth, uh, creation happened in a garden. And most of us have an image of a garden as something about paradise, right? It was, it was paradise. It was created. That's where, you, that's where you go to revel in the beauty and the creation of God. And a lot of us think of heaven, the new heavens and the new earth, as like the garden. And we long for these days where we worship and we're in beauty. But if we think about the trajectory of history and the trajectory of time and the new heavens and the new earth, if we look at the book of Revelation and say, what is the new heavens and new earth pictured as? It's the new Jerusalem coming down. Heaven is a city, not a garden. Why? Because God created us for community. But, but so easily we, we back away from that. And when something, somebody or something threatens community, we, we banish them from us. And isolation is destructive because God intends for us to live in community and to grow in community and be deeply changed and, and nurtured through community. And so just like he told this man, go back to your family. Go back to your town. Go back to all the things you have missed out on because you've been in isolation. We, we need to grab onto that. And like the man, we easily can be destroyed by isolation and we don't even know it. 
I said earlier, one of the most fascinating lines in this passage is where it says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And, and, and he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. And there are all kinds of ways to read that. But the way it, my brain keeps going back to, he begged, the man is speaking. He begged Jesus not to send them. Don't send these demons too far. Another one, you go, hmm. In other words, these demons are destructive, but they're mine. And I know them. And I can be okay. I can survive. As bad as this is, I can survive it because at least it's known. Are there things in our life that we, we've often begged for Jesus to deal with in life. And Jesus, take this away from me, but, but deep down, but not too far. Because it's tough. It may be destructive. It may be, it may be a miserable life, but at least I know what it is. And in a sense, he was afraid of the unknown. I don't know what's out there. Jesus, if you send me back to this town, I don't know what's going to happen. At least I know this. And in a lot of ways, I think we're like the man in those ways. Do we really want to give up those things that buy for our attention? And how are we like the community? In a lot of ways, it's the same thing. There was this fear of the unknown. Why wouldn't they want Jesus to stay after he had done this amazing thing in transforming this man who had basically been the stuff of their nightmares? And instead of saying, Jesus, go, it's like, why don't we welcome this guy? Why why are we acting the way we do? The same thing. We know who this guy was. Jesus, you have amazing power, and we don't know what that means. And we're afraid of that. That's, that's what it said. When they saw this guy sitting there, what did it say? They were afraid. They were, they were afraid of a guy who was free from thousands of demons who, who now were sending the pigs and the pigs are dead. And well, that's a whole other problem of how are we like the community because Jesus is now meddling in our livelihood. He's upset the economic reality of our community. We are pig farmers, and now we have no pigs to farm. And yeah, if you want to push us on the deal, yeah, we'll say a human life is worth more than a bunch of pigs, but not really, because this is how we make our life. And you've just run that into the ocean. What are you going to do about that? Are you going to make restitution? You see, we're, we're, we're like the community in some ways, because we will, we will value what Jesus brings up to a point, but then it can cross the line into meddling and messing with the status quo and messing what we're comfortable with and what we know. The fascinating story that takes place uh, in the 1800s. Um, remember Harriet Beecher Stowe? She wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin, which was a, um, basically a, a book that just denounced slavery. It was about the evils of slavery. And, and she had a husband who was a, a biblical scholar, and while she was touring England, he was with her, and he, he had an opportunity to speak in front of people. And at that time, England had already abolished slavery, but the United States had not. And so he stood in front of this group to speak, and he basically started out by saying, you're all a bunch of hypocrites. Not a positive way to start a speech. I mean, I started out with, I hate snakes. That's one thing. This is, you're a bunch of hypocrites. Imagine, that'll be next week's sermon. You guys are a bunch of hypocrites. And he went on to say, you guys have abolished slavery. You have passed laws to make it illegal. And, and that's the reality of where you are. In a sense, that was a good step to take. But did you know 
that 80% of the cotton that is produced in the southern states of the United States by slaves is exported to you. If you really want to abolish this evil, are you willing to sacrifice a penny of your profits to abolish it completely? And it's documented that the crowd responded to him by booing. Because we feel pretty good about ourselves. We made a positive step. We passed a law that says it's illegal. And now you're meddling. Because that's just a little too far. It's not our fault that they still have slavery there. That's a, that's a tough story that took place in history. And, and it's kind of like this community. Yes, there's a good thing. We're glad this guy is fine, but you, you killed our pigs. You need to leave because you're meddling with our life. You're asking something a little too far and a little too hard. The other thing about the community that, that we have to ask ourselves, or are we like the community, is, is, is how do we treat people who are in desperate need in our midst? See, this, this town was actually violent. They, they were doing what they could to restrain this man and tame this man. They treated him like an animal. They eventually got rid of him. They were doing anything they could to stop this. And they didn't even see him as a human. And we have people show up in our lives all the time that are battered and scarred and cut and tormented in all kinds of ways, some visibly, some not. And, and how do we respond? Do, do we opt for our own comfort? Or do we respond as Jesus did? Like maybe we just ask ourselves the question, how do we respond when we land on the shore and the madman runs down at us? What's our response? Probably let's get back in the boat. As scary as that was, at least we kind of know the sea. This was horrible. But we need to be a people that respond differently. We need to first recognize that we are legion. And then we recognize that in everybody else and say, how do we come alongside you in the name of Jesus and let the power of Jesus transform you and transform me? How do we live that kind of life? Because the amazing thing is that Jesus showed up on the shore of this man's life, this man whose life was an absolute mess and tormented and possessed and evil in how it played out through these spirits. And when Jesus showed up in his life, he, he, he got rid of those things that were warring within him. He, he, he made him whole again. He made him in his right mind and released him to community to tell what amazing things the Lord has done. That needs to be all of our stories. We are all that man who have all kinds of agendas and things going on that vie for our time and tear us apart internally. As Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I do, I don't want to do. We're, we're, we wage that war within ourselves all the time. And Jesus says, I want to make you whole and release you to live for me in community. And as a community, we need to be people that say, here comes somebody who is released to community, who has the potential to be released from all this by Jesus. How do we welcome them into our arms? 
How do we give them what they've been missing? They've been living in isolation. They need us. We need each other. That's where growth happens. In the name of Jesus. This is a, this is a challenging story. And I wish we could just leave it back there. Isn't it amazing? Jesus showed who he was by how he dealt with these demons and by calming the storm. But man, when we put ourselves in the story and say, I'm a lot like that community. I'm a lot like that man. Praise be to Jesus that his grace poured out. Praise be to Jesus that because of him I can stand here today and say, yeah, my name used to be Legion and now I am whole and complete and being more and more transformed in the image of Jesus. Why? Because of his mercy, because of his grace and because of a community that comes around and builds us up. That's life in Christ. That's what it means to follow him along the way. These disciples in this boat had already been wrestling with the images Jesus painted of the kingdom. And they were trying to grasp what that means. The kingdom of God is like these things. And, but then all of a sudden, life happens. What do we do with that? How will you respond when Jesus shows up on the shore of your life? And how will you respond when a madman comes running down from the hills? Let's pray.